0: With less than 36 hours left in 2020, we can now reflect on this year of pain and horrors. For San Diego's military members and their families, this year was also marred by the pandemic, but of course you can't shut down the military. Here's a look back at some of the challenges the military faced this year, as well as a look into what 2021 may have in store. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Andrew Dyer, you cover the military for the San Diego Union Tribune, and this year was certainly an eventful one for our service, men and women. Let's go back to the beginning of the year, all the way back in January. Remind us about the airstrike on Iranian General Qasem Soleimani.
1: Right. Um, It it feels like it was so long ago um, at this point with everything that's happened since then that um, it's kind of uh, crazy to think about, you know, that was also uh, in 2020 and what we saw in Iraq at the end of last year um, was kind of some escalating tit for tat violence between uh, the United States and Iraqi militias backed by Iran. Um, there were um, rocket attacks and then the U.S. response to their strikes. Um, um, an Iraqi militia then uh, attacked the uh, U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Um, Marines, uh, Southern California-based Marines, um, scrambled and responded to the issue at the uh, embassy. Um, and then uh, it was followed by the assassination of uh, General Soleimani uh, by the United States while he was in, in near the Baghdad airport uh, with the leader of one of those uh, militias. Um, of course, this touched off Uh, a a lot of tensions between the U.S. and Iran. Um, There was a a, a protest in San Diego and and in many cities um, against a a potential war with Iran. Um, Iran did strike back. They sent missiles uh, to an Iraqi base that injured uh, more than 100 uh, U.S. service members. Um, But, uh, of course, uh, the uh, tensions, I, I wouldn't say they... They died down, but the uh, the engagement certainly, uh, certainly stopped.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of conflict simmered for a little bit of the beginning of the year. But by the time we got to February and March, that's when the virus was really on the horizon. Can you describe what the military's response to the virus was in the beginning of the pandemic? So before all the shutdowns in March, how was the military planning on responding?
1: You know, this was something that, Kind of surprised me when I started uh, just researching, um, you know, my own stories from earlier this year. Uh, we've come so far since then that it was um, a little bit jarring to to read what was happening um, in February and in March. Um, what we were seeing was assur- assurances from across the federal government that, you know, we have this under control. We're prepared. Um, you know, it's not a threat here. Uh, our, our we don't have any cases yet you know, a lot of kind of downplaying of the, the threat of the virus. Uh, we, of course, had uh, plane loads of Americans uh, fleeing China come and stay at, uh, at Miramar, uh, Marine Corps Air Station Miramar. Um, there were actually two waves of, of people coming to Miramar to, to quarantine. Um, that, now, you know, looking back at this point, you know, it was kind of like trying to put your, your finger into a, a gash on the side of your ship this big, you know, there was just no stopping the uh, the virus from getting into the community. But, um, you know, they, they did try uh, via these quarantines, but um, by the time the the second batch, and it was uh, some of the Grand Princess cruise ship passengers that came to Saint Miramar, um, by the time they came to quarantine at Miramar, uh, I, I think community spread was already happening, um, in the United States. So it was, uh, you know, just too little, uh, too late. Um, but, you know, as as late as uh, early March, you know, we had the leaders, uh, the, t- the top officers from the Coast Guard, the Marine Corps, um, and the Navy uh, in San Diego for the West Conference. And they, you know, one of the things they do every year is they have a big forum where they, they talk about um, issues and take questions. And, um, you know, at this point, it was uh, the first week of March and the coronavirus was on the top of people's minds. And, you know, they they talked about how, you know, it hasn't affected operations. That At that point, there had only been uh, one active duty service member positive for the virus. And I think it was, that was in Italy. So, um, you know, there's a lot of confidence that they were ready and that, that it wasn't going to affect things. Um, but, you know, the, the wheels came off of that r- real quick. Mm
0: hmm. And looking back at those early months before the lockdown started in mid-March, do you think that there was conversation about how to handle how bad the outbreak could possibly be? Because we do know a little bit about how the federal government kind of knew that it could get bad earlier, but didn't necessarily want to sound the alarm. Like, for instance, there was the... um, Information that was gleaned from the Bob Woodward book about how, you know, Trump knew it was airborne about the time California was locking down, but wasn't communicating that to us. Was the similar thing happening in the military?
1: I don't have any evidence specifically saying that that it was. Um, you know, we don't know exactly what people knew and and when they knew it. All we know is what they were saying in public and the. Public statements um, certainly kind of mirror what you saw from the administration, kind of downplaying um, the threat the virus posed to, to everyday life. Um, even once the lockdowns almost got rolling, um, there uh, the, the second week of March, um, we saw a, a couple of branches shut down their public boot camp graduations. Um, and then locally, the Marines were like, oh, no, we're still... Well, you know, we're still going to follow protocols and have our graduation. And and it took about a day and a half for them to come to and say, actually, you know what, we're, we're going to cancel it. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of kind of uh, initial resistance to implementing the changes that were by that time. It was pretty obvious everybody was going to have to do.
0: hmm. And it seems like the Navy's biggest test throughout this was the outbreak on the USS Roosevelt. Can you recap those events and how that shook up Navy leadership?
1: Well, the, the Roosevelt out- outbreak is really just kind of the, the bellwether event of the year for for the Navy and, and maybe for the entire Department of Defense, because um, what you had in that incident was all of the worst case scenarios, crisscrossing and, and meeting in one place where you have a, a shipboard environment where people are in extremely close quarters. We'd already seen the virus spread rampantly on ships. Um, and those are luxury cruise liners where people have their own rooms. Um, the only people with their own rooms on, a, on an aircraft carrier are people with like silver and gold on their shoulders. That is not the majority of the crew. So um you know you you have this confluence of, of worst case scenarios, and um, you know they've done research on this outbreak and and we we've seen some data coming out of it. and um, all of those things did contribute to the the way the virus spread. Um, and every moment of delay from the first cases showing up on the ship um, at, towards the end of March, and when they finally moved people off the vessel uh, in Guam to isolate in hotel rooms, You know, every day of delay um, really provided an opportunity for uh, COVID-19 to spread to more and more of that crew. And uh, more than 1,200 or a quarter of the ship eventually tested positive. Mm
0: -hmm. And uh, did we ever find out where exactly the virus originated on that ship?
1: No, that's still a a mystery. Um, You know, operations on an aircraft carrier are very fluid, there are people flying on and off um, almost every day. Uh, you know, the mail and, and various things come on board. Um, you know, the ship had stopped in Da Nang, Vietnam, for a, a port call the the first week of March. Um, you know, then at the time, you know, because I, I asked them, I asked Pacific Fleet about this, like, hey, you've got this ship in Vietnam. What's going on? You know, they they say, you know, we're taking their temperature when they come back to the ship, and you know, at that time. The thinking was that those protocols might be enough to prevent the virus from getting on board, but um, it, there's no evidence, um, at least n- not publicly, that virus came aboard as a result of that port call. But the first cases of COVID on the ship uh, came uh, just that two weeks after that that port visit.
0: Mm-hmm. And during that whole time, it seems that the. Navy and the military was uh, very concerned about optics. Uh, Can you recap the Crozier incident?
1: Well, um, yeah. So the Navy, once the cases started um, spreading on on the ship, uh, the Navy sent the Roosevelt to Guam. Uh, At the time, the, the Chief of Naval Operations, Mike Gilday, said that this was a previously scheduled port visit to Guam which might be true it's very common for uh, ships to to stop in Guam when they go to the uh, Western Pacific. Um, but uh, at some point it, after the ship got to Guam just a couple of days later uh, the ship captain Brett Crozier uh, sent a, a letter to the leaders of the Pacific Fleet um, a, a very very much in plain language. It, it wasn't necessarily military-speak that you see from communications. You're in the plain language saying that we've seen what happens on these cruise ships. If you don't move 90% of this crew off of the ship right away, you know we are going to have a significant outbreak and, and multiple deaths. We can do it. We can get back out to sea, and we can go and, and you know put planes in the air, but that's going to be the cost. Um, you know that letter was uh, obtained by the San Francisco Chronicle and published, and obviously it became the story that it that it did. Uh, within a couple days, uh, the acting secretary of the Navy fired Captain Crozier from command, saying that he didn't do enough to prevent that letter from getting into the hands of the media. Um, and Crozier left the ship. Uh, There's several videos online of members of the crew. Going into the hangar bay and cheering him as he walked on the brow, brow, chanting "Captain Crozier, Captain Crozier," um, and uh, so the you know, Maude um, the uh, the then Navy acting Navy Secretary, flew out to Guam, went to the ship, got on the one MC—that's the uh, that's the loudspeaker public address system—and just went off uh, for uh, about ten minutes about. The ship and what Brozier might have done wrong. Um, said some inflammatory things. He chastised the crew for cheering him, and then, um, you know, uh, once that audio was leaked to the media, um, Modley apologized for what he had said, and then the next day he resigned um, under under a lot of pressure. Um, you know, the the whole ordeal. Uh, you know, the. And it was just a, a few days later, a few a couple of weeks later, that um, one of the, the crew members, uh, a, a chief, uh, Charles Thacker, uh, died from the virus. Um, so, the, the, you know, this horrible ordeal, not just for the crew of the Roosevelt, but their family members here in, in San Diego, um, was just uh, especially, you know, a, a tough deal to go through. It's hard enough when your loved one is deployed for months on end. But whenever you know that there is this extremely contagious virus spreading on the ship, and you have all of the, you know, all of these high level, kind of, uh, it turned into such a scandal at the top of the navy. Um, You know, it, it really strains uh, the military and the military families uh, involved with the, with the ship.
0: Certainly, and all of that happened right as New York was facing its worst surge. Everyone was observing how things were going there. So it was extra frightening to see an outbreak in a contained space because at that point, our understanding of the virus was still developing and ships are probably one of the worst places on Earth you can be and have some COVID-19 in the air.
1: Right. And and um, the Roosevelt was not the only ship uh, to have virus cases. In fact, the the first known case of a shipboard sailor um, testing positive for the virus was was right here. Uh, in San Diego on on the Macon Island. Now the Macon Island was in port at the time, so big difference about being like in port in San Diego and being uh, across the ocean um, in the Indo Pacific region. But uh, there were there were several cases on board ships, and um, although the Navy stopped telling us which ships those cases are on, um, it, it certainly continued throughout the summer and into into present day. Um, You know, as as many cases as there are in the general population, you can basically take that and and apply it to to the military. The same types of percentage. You know, uh, our our military members are just as much a part of this community as everybody else.
0: Hmm. And uh, in July, there was a fire aboard the Bonhomme Richard. Um, After some investigation, uh, do we know anything more about that blaze?
1: So the investigations are ongoing on the Bonhamer Shard. We do know that there was um, at least one sailor under investigation. Um, They're investigating it as an arson. There was a search warrant executed on this individual's home. Um, However, where that investigation is now or whether it will result in in charges remains to be seen. Mm
0: -hmm. Certainly. And there was another tragedy that occurred in that same month on San Clemente Island. Can you explain uh, the sinkage of that vehicle?
1: Right. So um, you know this happened uh, just <laughs> about a week after the the fire on the Bonhomme Richard. Um, you know it is fairly routine for marine landing uh, groups to to practice amphibious operations at, at San Clemente Island. Um, it's used by the military to train you know lots of different uh, you know special operations forces and these uh, amphibious groups as well um but there were 16 service members um 15 marines and one sailor i believe was the, the makeup uh, on uh, an assault amphibious vehicle now this is a cold war era amphibious tanked vehicle that can uh transport um a group of marines from an amphibious ship uh, onto shore, you know they can do what they got to do on shore, and then they jump back in and they they go back through the water to their ship. Uh, they were on a return trip to, to the ship when the amphibious vehicle started taking on water. Um, several of the crew were able to to egress from the vehicle, but also also um, half of them were not, and uh, we saw the loss of nine lives. Uh, eight Marines and a sailor. Um, they range in age from 18 to, to 23. Uh, just a, kind of a real uh, uh, low point, I think, uh, when we when we look at uh, the, you know all the military stories coming out of San Diego this year. Uh, that one was especially
0: tragic. Mm-hmm. Certainly. And a fast forwarding to December, uh, the biggest controversy affecting servicemen and women, and their families was the, the delay over the NDAA. Um, can you explain how that affected San Diego?
1: Um, well, you know the the way the military is funded is 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 you know every year they they have this authorization act. so um, until the money runs out, there's still money, right so, um, as long as uh, we're still operating under the the 2020 NDAA which was passed last year um, everybody is is still happy and and, and funded um, it's the question going into the the next year about um, about funding but um, it, it looks like there's going to be a vote to um, override Trump's veto so um, you know, There's a lot of criticism about the size of the the Pentagon budget, for sure. But um, at least for this year, it it looks like things will be uh, fully funded, uh, at least for the next year.
0: Mm -hmm. And at this point, uh, the military is dealing with the latest surge of COVID-19, just like we all are. How would you kind of rate how the military has evolved when it comes to handling the virus? Have they changed strategies that have made it a little safer? What do we know about how they've you know learned lessons from early in the year to what's going on today?
1: Well, you know, it's, I think the best way is to understand that there is no way to conduct military operations and, and with 0% risk. So, in order for the Navy and the Marines to do what, what they have to do, what they've been charged by, you know, the commander in chief and, and and everybody to do, um, they have to assume a, a level of risk, whether it's flying aircraft, whether it's um, getting in an, an armored vehicle and, and crossing uh, a, an ocean, or whether it is potentially exposing yourself to, to COVID-19. Um, you know, military members expose themselves to a certain level of risk every day. Um, now, the military does what it can to mitigate that risk. So um, one of the more effective things um, that military leaders point to is the quarantines that they have instituted. Um, now, I'm speaking specifically for the Navy and the Marines here in San Diego um, are, are the ones that I'm most familiar with, but um, At the Marine Corps' boot camp, you know, we've done lots of reporting on, you know, when these recruits come in from across the country, they have already been quarantining at home for two weeks before they get on a plane to San Diego. Then once they get here, they are given a health screening, given a COVID-19 test, and they're, they're sent to a local hotel to quarantine for two more weeks um, before actually starting boot camp. And um, what that's done, the Marines tell me, is really – um, minimize the risk of COVID-19 getting into boot bootcamping and, and circulating among the recruits. Um, the, the Recruit Depot, normally these bases are open to all military members. You can come on the base and you can shop at the exchange, you can use the facilities. Um, but that's not the case at, at the Recruit Depot. It's um, It has been since um, the early part of the pandemic and remains to this day uh, off limits to any anybody who does not actually work on the base. So they are trying to limit um, who comes into the base. And now this doesn't eliminate the risk, of course, right? You still have, you know, service members who go home and and do stuff on the weekends and then come to work. But I think the idea is to minimize, minimize risk. And and they say that that's what they've done. Now there are still cases of COVID-19 that pop up in some of these recruit um, platoons. Um, The Marines are not, testing entire platoons for COVID-19 during training. Um, They are only testing once somebody becomes symptomatic. So, you know, it's possible there is more asymptomatic COVID-19 in the ranks than um, we may realize because they're not testing. But um, once again, this goes back to the whole uh, they've accepted a certain amount of risk. On the Navy side, um, it's kind of a a similar deal where you have crews of ships before the ship goes out to sea for an extended period of time they are quarantining uh, before going to sea uh, to again to to with the idea to prevent the virus from getting back on board on board the vessels
0: mm-hmm and as you look forward to 2021, um, what are some questions that you hope to answer in the coming months about how, you know, the incoming Biden administration plans to kind of change the trajectory of the military? What things do you hope get answered kind of in the first few months of 2021?
1: Well, one thing that we've seen, um, and it's, it's most visible in the Marine Corps, where they've um, really pivoted to being a more amphibious and expeditionary uh, force, you know, they've in this last year, they've uh, they're phasing out their their armored the tanks. So um, the Marines are going kind of shifting away from being such an infantry land force to really being more of an amphibious force. Um, I, I expect that to continue. Um, the uh, refocus, and this is something you hear a lot from Pentagon leaders, um, the what they call is the near peer fight, and the the great power competition between the United States, uh, China, and Russia. Um, That will continue to be a focus of uh, the kind of the top-level military strategy. Um, One thing I'm interested in when we talk about what is the Biden doctrine going to be is really um, about the the war on terror, uh, the the global war on terror that has been ongoing since um, the aftermath of 9-11, um, we still have troops in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, now, Trump is withdrawing many of them before Biden's inauguration. So, one big thing that remains to be seen is will Biden, you know, will he counteract that? Will he uh, ramp up troop levels again in those countries as, you know, the Taliban takes m- more control in Afghanistan and as Russia exerts more influence? In Afghanistan, um, same thing in Iraq. You, you know, you, you have Iran um, inv- putting more influence in Iraq. Um, will the Biden administration, um, you know, reinvest um, in those countries where so much American uh, blood and, and treasure has already been, you know, um, used? Um, so, yeah. Uh, in addition to those two countries, we are repositioning forces in Somalia. In fact, San Diego-based Marines and Sailors are off the coast of Somalia right now, providing support and cover for that. Uh, the military calls it a repositioning. Um, other people have called it a withdrawal. But um, you know how how will that change um, with a new commander in chief remains to be seen.
0: Mm-hmm. Certainly, we have plenty of questions going into twenty twenty one on every beat, and you know until the pandemic recedes. It'll still remain at the forefront of all of our concern.
1: Right. It's not going away. Um, so, you know, the military has started to vaccinate some of its uh, medical frontline um, and security forces um, at the medical centers. But um, it will be a while before those vaccines are out to uh, the military and then to the rest of the general population. So um, the social distancing and the masks. The the quarantines um, those will continue um, for our local military community. Uh, it, right now, it's it's open ended. That's that's not changing.
0: All right, Andrew Dyer. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you want to include the San Diego Union-Tribune in your morning routine, check out our daily flash briefing. Every weekday morning, hear a quick summary of the day's top stories. Just search San Diego Union Tribune wherever you get your podcasts, including Smart Speakers. Until next time.